0: The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown. Here's another conversation between two of our medical education transformation collaboratories. In this episode, we hear about projects led by PIs Julie Hazlip and Natalie May of the University of Virginia School of Nursing and Dave Hatem from the University of Massachusetts Chen School of Medicine. They discuss their projects on mattering and learning communities. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to turn things over now to our last two collaboratories. who I paired together uh, in in part because they're thinking about what we mean to each other. Uh, so so Dave Hatem's group, thinking about learning communities and other things. And of course, mattering, the concept of mattering uh, is all about those meanings that we have for each other. So these two groups seem like there might be some nice connections between the two of them.
1: Thanks, Michael. Um, As we're really focusing on creating a culture of mattering, I'm going to talk fast so we can get through it because we'd like to share ideas with you at the end. So again, mattering is that feeling that we make a difference in the lives of others and are significant to them as well fulfills critical human needs. So both in adding value and feeling valued, we're addressing things like self-efficacy, self-determination, engagement, and dignity. The work that we uh, are doing has been built on the work from the undergraduate um, higher education arena, where Dr. Flett has put together a lot of information about mattering. And you can read these um, quotations about the fact that when students matter in in college, they do much, much better. And this is especially true for those who feel invisible or uncared for. Often our first generation are underrepresented. Moving on, uh, Dr. Flett also worked with Dr. Peichel to look at what about award-winning professors and was kind of astonished to find that 11 of 12 intentionally addressed making their students feel that they mattered and recognized that their higher expectations were coupled with support and trust because they believe that when students matter they learn more they're more engaged they develop open more self-efficacy and it's those kinds of things we want to recreate in the medical education world but what's Uh, And then Dr. Kulitensky brought in the concept of the fact that we need to, by design, create this culture of mattering and do it within our organizations, because organizations may also contribute to the feeling of mattering when they make their employees, especially that's what he's focused on, feel valued and care about their well-being. What about in medical education? Well, doctors May and Hazlip have done some research that was interprofessional at the University of Virginia and recognized that the definitions of mattering do get held up in healthcare. They're compatible with what happens in healthcare and that our patients and team members contribute to our sense of mattering. It's important to practical practicing clinicians that we matter, but it's also supported important to those people who are around us. And as Julie pointed out in that video, if you feel you matter more, you're much more, you're much less likely to experience burnout and you remain more engaged. So what do we know about healthcare education? We know that when medical students enter medical school, they often are at or better than their peers in terms of mental health. But as they go through medical school, that mental health declines. And work has shown that it's the learning environment, not those individuals that contribute to that change in mental health. We also know from studies that nursing students experience more stress, anxiety, and sleep disturbances than peers who are in other um, areas of education. So we asked, what does a culture of mattering look like in medical school? We know there's lots of challenges with the numerous transitions, especially in the clinical years, new routines, unfamiliar experiences, sometimes shocking their first view of a dead person in the anatomy lab. They have to develop a new language and they have gone from being seen as the cream of the crop to one of an average student. And so it's difficult for them to be seen as unique. We also know that ostracism plays a role, uh, often felt be, to be due to the hierarchy in medical education. So, this is our team. Um, several of us are here, and uh, hopefully, you'll get to meet all of us eventually. And we propose that creating this culture of mattering can promote well being, engagement, and self efficacy, and in fact, learning in our students. But in order to do that, we need to understand what mattering looks like from a medical student or nursing student perspective. So we performed a mixed method study, including quantitative surveys and qualitative interviews, where we asked about experiences of mattering and not mattering. And we also asked them to identify exemplar faculty or staff. We did have them take the character strength survey so we could look at whether character strengths were related to a sense of mattering at all. We interviewed 41 students and you can see the distribution there and had delightful conversations from 27 to 90 minutes in length. And as I mentioned, the students were asked to uh, identify exemplars, which they did, uh, 74 exemplars. Some of them like Dr. Carroll, who you met in the video, by more than one student. These are our study aims, which is really to help begin to describe the culture of mattering in the medical institution and perform the in-depth interviews to figure out how their perspectives about mattering can help us create this culture. We we are also in the process of interviewing uh, faculty, and our goal is to propose interventions to foster cultures of mattering. So I'm going to turn this over to Dr. May, and she'll tell you what we've found to date.
2: Thank you, Karen. Um, it's been really nice to hear all of you dealing with lots of qualitative data. So I feel like we're, um, we'll are get some sympathy or empathy for all the material that we've got to go through. Um, but we have already at this point found some really, uh, we think, interesting Uh, findings from our student interviews. Um, So I'm quickly gonna go over this one. Students feel like they matter when they're learning, as you saw in the video, when they're able to contribute and add value. And that includes serving a meaningful role with patients, um, serving a meaningful role on the team. And that can include, you know, letting my resident leave 15 minutes early or spending time talking to the patient. Um, They're given autonomy meaning that they are also trusted by their uh, clinical instructors or their attendings. Um, they are validated by others and they're, when they're seen and acknowledged by others. I'm, I decided to focus on our exemplar um, data because we've really um, finished the analysis on this. And it I think it really captures what student what behaviors students is making them feel as though they matter. So as we've said, we asked them to identify exemplars. And then we said, so you've identified this person. Uh, What is it exactly that they do that makes you feel as though they matter? So unlike the previous um, study where they interviewed award-winning faculty, we took it a step further and actually interviewed faculty who were identified as making students feel as though they matter. Um, Yeah. So one of the things that these exemplars do is they foster meaningful connections with their students. And the list is really long of all the things that uh, faculty do to foster these connections. Um, Sometimes it was as simple as, hey, my professor knew I was having a really hard day or I was struggling with something. And she just texted me to check in and see how I was doing. Um, engaging in meaningful conversations, often around career choices, Um, engaging with students as learners, um, giving students feedback, seeing them as complex and worthy individuals. And this almost should be up at the top. Um, This was so important in everything that we we heard. And displaying genuine kindness, supportiveness, um, and just being positive. Teresa Carroll in the video really exemplifies that. Um, and this uh, this actually surprised me. Um, there was so much around time invested uh, in students. So time invested in the students' learning. It was even things like, you know, she took an hour to do an oral exam with me, um, just the two of us. Um, invested time in teaching. This includes, um, you know, lecture faculty. Students can tell when the PowerPoints suck. Um, when the medical students saying, you know, we knew that their guidelines were outdated Um, or even typos in in PowerPoints. Uh, I hope I have no typos in the PowerPoints. It it doesn't mean you don't matter. Um, And investing time in students outside the classroom. Exemplar faculty create safe and positive learning environments. And that included uh, creating challenging learning experiences and setting high expectations um, safe learning environments, and actually we heard a great example of this at the last Kern um, gathering when um, one of you, I, I believe it was one of you, said, you know, I, I stood up in front of my class and said as a gay male medical attending blank. And the students just felt like, oh my gosh, this is a safe space. I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm allowed to be myself. Um So the safe learning environment was really important. Um, Inclusivity in learning environments and feedback. Students really want feedback. Um, It means you're invested in their learning and that you want to improve um, their work, but also when the faculty says, you know, give me feedback and then I'm going to actually use that to improve my own teaching and just simply prioritizing teaching and learning. Um, we also found that students are often capable of creating their own sense of mattering. Um, and this, you know, and we have lots of examples, and one of our students is actually writing her article on this. It takes some risk taking, you know, like I'm going to run for office for my uh, medical school class, even though that's really out of my comfort zone. But then that generated a sense of mattering to their peers. Um, I interviewed an exemplar faculty yesterday who the first thing he teaches his nursing students in the clinical setting is to say these words, hey, do you got a second? Meaning come to me and say, hey, do you got a second? I would like to learn about X. Um, and so I just thought that was a great example of coaching students to create their own sense of mattering. Uh, as, as we've talked about, we've done, our goal is to um, interview 20 exemplars, we have finished 18. Um, And we start the conversation by saying, you've been identified as as an exemplar of mattering by your students. And we usually say, how does that make you feel? Um, And then we ask, what do you do to make students feel as though they matter and why and what impact do you think this has on uh, their learning and just the environment, the culture in general? And we've noticed this lovely reciprocity that faculty who make students feel as though they matter get it back probably you know, maybe three or four or tenfold. Um, It's exciting for faculty, as you know, to see engaged and enthusiastic learners or learners who are growing. Um, And it's just meaningful for them to get to know their students as individuals. Uh, This is where we get to brag on ourselves. Um, We're working on the big seminal article. Uh, We've got a couple other papers in progress, including one on institutional mattering uh, and this paper I referenced about students making themselves feel as though they matter. We've had five uh, national and international abstracts submitted or accepted, and lots of uh, presentations at our own institution. And I think what would be of interest to you is that we are developing a CBL um, that will train faculty on how to create cultures of mattering in their classroom and clinical settings. So. Hopefully that will be finished by the time we end the current funding period, but that will be available to everybody for free. Um, And we're working on, you know, ways to create cultures of mattering in our own institution and ideally how to measure the impact of those on some of these uh, questions that we've, we've listed here. Um, And these are some conversations or questions for discussion. I think I have a bonus slide at the end. This one, this is, um, something we used at a a plenary but this was you know how can you do this right now um i even encourage people to text sitting in the audience text a colleague um, or a student Um, use we statements acknowledge other's success students really care about transparency and so do faculty right Um, expressing vulnerability there are just um quick little things that we can do none of this is expensive or time consuming. Thank you. Handing it over to Dave. Okay.
3: thanks. I know Michael set this up on purpose. Um, You know, the first (laughs) group, how did he put us together? Well, our group has said right from the start, that mattering group and and we we're talking about the same thing. And so (laughs) we know why Michael put us together. And what we're going to do is talk about our project, which is based in learning communities and has this incredibly long title. we are really deep into data analysis right now. So, we don't have many findings to share, but we're going to orient you to reminding you where we are in this project um, and get your thoughts about uh, how this overlaps with mattering as well, because it's really been central concepts. So, um, we have to say thank you to the Kern Foundation for the funding and really getting us off the ground on this. And this is our group. And so we have 10 individuals in seven medical schools who are part of this project um, really across the country. And why this study? So we have a group from the Learning Communities Institute Research Network. Um, and it's part of our current project is the second phase of a professional identity formation project. Um, in the first phase, there were 53 graduating medical students at four medical schools. And they said that learning communities influence professional identity formation through creating physical and organizational structures that promote relationship, Um, having curriculum that prompts reflection um, and giving people places to process their experience and promote learning. And that continuity relationships promote a safe space and allow vulnerability. Uh, Community involvement promoted development and these institutions were fostering a mentoring culture. So you'll see a lot of overlap with the concepts um, that other groups have talked about. But learning communities were suggested to have their biggest influence in the pre-clerkship years. Um, and we thought that this retrospective four-year look back may have missed some early events. And so that's where we had this current studies focus is to develop a greater understanding of the professional identity formation in the pre-clerkship years. And asking the questions of what experiences people and factors early medical students identify as contributing to their caring character development in PIF. How do organizational frameworks help this process? And as we said, we're at seven geographically diverse medical schools, um, five with learning communities and two uh, that don't have formal learning communities. And so what we did was we used a literature-based phase one informed open-ended survey um, designed and electronically administered just prior to starting clerkships at each of these institutions. Um, And we piloted it, revised it, and then administered it to the student bodies. And this is where we left off last year. We were just starting to collect data. And so what you can see here is not only the numbers, but beginnings of some results where we did this at seven schools and we got response rates ranging from 16% of the student body at Rosalind Franklin to 49% of the student body at Vanderbilt. um, And our overall response rate was 28%. And so what we're gonna do relatively quickly here is to go through the survey and then begin to frame some of the coding codes that we've seen. So we first had a continuum question where we talked about students identifying themselves as students, medical students, physicians in training, or physicians. And then we said, where are you on that continuum and how you decided to place yourself there? Um, We then asked them to describe their own professional identity after giving definitions of that. How have you learned to integrate care and caring into your developing professional identity and What's how are you developing the character necessary for your future professional role? Describe one success you've had and describe one challenge that's had a particular impact on your professional identity. Um, And then we ask them what aspects of your professional identity have changed through the pre-clerkship years and what's remained stable? How have you stayed the same? Um, And then the final few questions, um, we're thinking about the learning community at your school and to describe um, influential experiences that are informing your professional identity. And then uh, given the current times, we asked them how COVID um, influenced their professional identity and some of the recent social political events and movements have done that as well. We collected these demographics um, of age, gender identity, race and ethnicity, um, immigration status and first generation uh, college students, family, and then previous careers. Um, And so our timeline, our first year was really spent in data collection and we completed that in June. Um, We generated a code book um, from May to July and up until very recently we were were very much involved with uh, coding the data. Uh, And our last, our final step was a validity team looking at, um, we had five paired teams, looking at all the transcripts. And our last step was looking at um, making sure that the pairs were consistent across groups. And we've done that. So this is our data collection. But what I'm about to share, you've seen this table um, already of the response rates. Um, I want you to be thinking about what the mattering group has said, as well as Um, what we're finding thus far, just in terms of describing the codes and uh, uh, how they're distributed. What it seemed like as we looked at the codes was that it's not truly a spectrum, but you're tending to get, if you look at this continuum question, on the left side, there were a series of codes that ended up being lists of I'm a student because I study and I'm learning and I have my and I don't see patients kinds of things. And the right side of this spectrum, I put the codes in that we're tending towards action, things that they're doing, and oftentimes the tension that they're feeling around their changing roles or experiences that they had that caused them to think about how they're developing. Um, so as we think about describing their professional identity, you know, they listed influences, knowledge, skills, and attitudes, and demographic factors. Um, but the right word action and tension were what's it going to be like in the future? Um, how are their personal and professional identities um, both complementary and um, conflicting? Um, and then tensions that, that that created. The questions on care and caring um, there were a number of things where they talked about importance and, you know, their their own personal features, again, change and growth and the mechanisms of change, what brought that about, similar for character. We'd see their personal characteristics, but then the tensions and the events that cause tension and the consequences of that. Many people talked about their, you know, they talked about their successes and challenges um, and really how that changed them and how it's really informing who they're becoming. Their professional identity is changing in the pre-clerkship years. Um, and there's a number of ways that that's happening. Um, and there's a number of causes on the right word, uh, side or events. And so it ranged from the pandemic and political where we saw here, uh, leadership opportunities, uh, medical school uh, experiences, as well as outside of uh, medical school relationships. And a number of things about themselves were remaining stable as well as their identity. Um, And they talked about things that were contributing to that. Finally, you know, as a group of um, five learning community schools, we wanted to understand the importance. um, And some people, again, just listed this or said it's it's neutral or negative, whereas people talked about the influence of relationships, um, how those are affecting their professional identity, how they're seeing their possible selves um, develop. You know, adding new parts to their identity as well as eliminating previous um, selves and, you know, leaving things behind. And finally, you know, we do have some um, certainly reactions to COVID and the social political events, and they had a number of things to say about how that was impacting them, ranging from the isolation of it to um, seeing how the profession was rising to these challenges or not. And this is where we are now as we come to the end of this part of the presentation is that now in our data analysis, we have our 10 10, uh, participants are divided into three teams. And we're looking at two to three schools each um, of our seven schools in their response to the survey. And we're looking at this by question and comparing schools initially to determine how does the school model contribute to caring character development in PIF and if there are differences between learning community and non-learning community schools? So we're able to do things like, there's a summary for each question so that we get an idea of what do UMass students say about where they are in their professional journey, um, you know, along that continuum of student to physician and is what Iowa says, do they talk about it differently? And so that's the qualitative analysis. Um, that we're involved in now. And as we review and summarize the questions by school, we're really looking for the broader story is is what is school X's students, what are they collectively saying about their professional journey um, related to the development of care, character development, and professional identity formation. And we're revisiting our, you know, aims in this study, which was to develop an understanding of their personal and professional growth, um, and its influences, um, part of the second bullet, understanding the role of learning communities and providing recommendations for how schools with and without LCs can help students build a positive professional identity. And then any additional research questions that seem to be um, emerged emerging in the data, um, we'll look at those as well. And so that's the end of our piece. And as we talked across email, um, I think as we think about this uh, discussion, our groups, both the uh, mattering group and ours came up with a few questions about the ideas of how to mattering and learning communities or other curricular models interact. And then how does mattering relate to PIF if it does? Um, And then how does mattering relate to care and caring and character development? Jen, you were gonna have a comment uh, about um, some of the relationship between PIF and mattering, just because that came up in our first project.
4: Yeah, it's coming up in the chat, too, and I think that's where the, the two projects collide. Um, and um, can I share my screen? Let me show you a model, actually, that we developed in our phase one study. So this is the the, the clerkship. Uh, study or the, I'm sorry, close to graduation study, not the, not the current funded part of the phase two study. Um, so this is a model that, um, uh, Marge and Twee and Megan and I, and Maya is not here, but I think Marge and Twee and Megan are all here. Um, and can so this- screen Can you make a full screen? It's- can- Can I make a full screen? Can you show it?
5: There we go. Is
2: that what you want, Marge? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
4: Okay. Um, So I know the words may be a little small to see, but this is showing the relationship between four, um, I guess, domains, uh, confidence, competence, belonging, and mattering that we see in the data and how it interacts with students' um, vision of where they are in their community of practice um, across uh, major sort of transition points throughout um, uh, their medical training. And so what we found is a really clear picture that um, confidence, confidence, mattering and belonging sort of are this spiraling effect where they're sort of mutually reinforcing or not, right? And so if you get a hit to, you know, an experience that causes your mattering to fall through the floor, then your confidence is going to go right with it. Um on the other hand, if you have a, an experience where maybe your competence is a little low but your belonging is a little high, that can hopefully serve as a little bit of a a uh, reinforcer that, you know, it's going to pull up um, some of those other other components. And so these things are very integrated, although distinct um, uh, factors that, that uh, are really pulling students into the community of practice and through the community of practice. So as students start to feel more CCBM, um, they start to feel like they're more a part of those communities of practice that they're trying to enter And then also as they start to feel accepted into those communities of practice, you see their CCBM also increase over time. And so there's a really close connection between um, between CCBM and how students are interacting within and feel connected to those communities of practice. Um, Marge or Twee or Megan, is there anything else that you'd wanna add about
1: this model? Can I just ask a question? This model, it's, it's a conceptual model. You haven't done the studies yet. Is that correct? This is
4: based on the 53 interviews that we did that Dave mentioned and, and the phase one study. And so it's, it's a theoretical model that's coming out of that empirical data.
5: And this is based on the study was with graduating uh, medical students, so it's it's different from the current study that we're doing, which is focused on preclinical students.
4: And so we are looking for CCBM in the preclinical um, uh, survey data too. We just haven't got to a point where we're to a, a deep analysis um, of that data yet. So we'd love to hear more thoughts about how mattering and PIF. Um, connect and how mattering and learning communities connect.
3: I have a question about that, about that last uh, slide. So if those four, I guess, constructs all track together, like, do we need to deal with all four? Or can we focus on one of the four as being just something to optimize for?
4: I don't know that we know enough about, like, we've not done, you know, like a, a follow-up study to see how that theoretical model sort of holds together. There's not been any kind of experimental work um, done with that. And so I think it may be premature to make any kind of claims about how they do exactly hold together and if they are um, sort of protective, you know, of, if like I said, if there's a drop in one, you know, um, for some students, you see if they've got a good sense of belonging or a good social structure, if they get a negative and, uh, you know, something happened negative in the clinical environment, they've got sort of a buffer, you know, that doesn't cause that confidence to shoot through the floor. Um, but that's anecdotal, you know, at this point. And so, you know, I I would hate to make a, a definitive statement about, about
1: that yet. Yeah, I I really like the model. I think that the question is going to be whether it's accurate, right? So kind of that question, is it true? So for example, I can remember on my surgical rotation where the surgical, this was 40 years ago, so please don't think that anything like this happens. But the surgical resident said, your job is to stay out of my way. I don't want to see you. I certainly didn't feel like I belonged. But I'm not sure I didn't feel like I mattered because I still interacted with patients, et cetera. You know, and that's thinking back a long ways. So there's so many different things. And we know Dr. Flett's work has shown that belonging and mattering are are very interrelated, but they're distinctly different. You can belong and not matter, you can matter and not belong. Can I ask
3: another, I ask another question about um like what what's the outcome? So is mattering the outcome, or is like health and
0: well-being the outcome? Like what's the, what's the right word to put on? Like, where is this, where's this, where are, you, where are you, supposed to end up? Like how do you know you've made it?
4: For us, it was a way for students to feel like they were advancing in their professional identity, right. And feel like they were a part of a, the physician community of practice or, or any number of different communities of practice that the students were trying to enter uh, depending on where they were in their, um, in their journey. Uh, but that ultimate goal of, of, being a recognized member, feeling like they're a member of that physician community of practice, those, uh, for us, mattering, played a big role in students feeling like, okay, I'm I'm in the group now.
3: And I think, Sean, when we think about the learning communities construct, which at many institutions says, okay, you're assigned a mentor from the beginning, and here's a cohort of students that you're going to go through a series of experiences with, and we're creating a house or a college community. It's if we give them a community that we use language around belonging and mattering right from the start, can we build their sense of mattering, and will it influence, you know, how they proceed on this journey? You know, one of the consequences in our place is we say, I think our learning communities are strong and give students a sense of that but that may exaggerate some of their transitions in the third year when they get out there and it's a bit of a different world. Um, And yet we have to think about how do we take the principles of our communities and apply them to other contexts. And I think we saw that in the NYU presentation around faculty development is extend the um, URIM faculty development feel to the residents you know, and, and bring those programs. So I think by creating this in one context, we're then gonna to try to apply it in other contexts as well.
6: Can I can I add a layer to this? When, when you think about professional identity formation as an outcome,
2: <clears throat>
6: it's useful to think about it as a moral construct, um, because that would bring all of this together, I think, which is that we want professionals Ultimately, if they're at their most mature level, to be able to manage tremendous amount of complexity in an environment that's very emotionally charged, but also to be able to manage the complexity intellectually and make the right decision for the right person at the right moment for the right reason, which is what, you know, phrenesis is or practical wisdom. So. Um, ultimately that's, I I think sort of theoretically, that's kind of where this is all going, which is how do you create the conditions under which humans, human adults can develop into that highest level of professional identity, which very few of us do. So it's not a guarantee in, despite all the curricular frameworks we have. And so um, if you think about mattering, about communities, about all these other programs, if we think about the ultimate goal is to create a set of individuals, a workforce <laughs> that is capable of managing what will be a very complex future in healthcare. We'll only get more, more and more complex um, in the way that is morally defensible and focused on our core missions. I think that's kind of like maybe that's the thing to think about. It's complex and it may not be measurable, but it may be a trajectory that we're looking for. And whether that trajectory is toward the center of a community or toward an individual growth, those are questions I think that are on the table. Well, and Adina,
1: I think that that's a really, you know if you look at that as an outcome, but especially in today's environment, we're also looking at how do they flourish during that process, right? And is the feeling of belonging, mattering, competency are all those things that help them flourish and successfully traverse that pathway, that moral um, towards moral agency as as exemplar practicing healthcare professional.
3: Yeah, I think that's a real challenge, but I think I love the fact that our group has taken on the big construct as opposed to, you know, mattering is a part of it. But Karen, you just gave a great example of a time where, you know, you had a negative experience, but you didn't come out of it with confidence, confidence and belonging. And, you know, I have a student who's going to go into medicine. The same thing happened on the surgery clerkship where he sat for stood for four hours and the surgeon never asked him his name. And so it's this sense of, I'm not sure that I belong and I'm not sure that I matter here, but that doesn't matter to me. And you start to see the interaction. So I think this idea of you know, a moral enterprise and development of character and professional identity formation, I love the fact that we're trying to grapple with that without individual things. I don't know if you have anything to add, Marge, you know, as somebody who's been involved in both parts of this study and, and in a lot of studies like this.
5: I don't think so. It's just such a, a fascinating area that I think, I'm just delighted that we're all focusing on this.
7: I actually wanted to respond to a question that came up in the chat um, from Corinne about when and how interprofessional identity is developed. And that that's a question that's of particular interest to me because I do a lot of IPE work um, at UVA. And when we did our original study with the clinicians, we heard a lot about interprofessional teams. We heard about how important that was to the sense of mattering for the clinicians. And it is almost absent, uh, completely absent from our student interviews um, with questions that are not similar uh, to the ones that we Asked. Um, and so I think it must be somewhere in the early practice years. Um, I don't have any data to suggest that, other than you know, something must be happening in between, you know, most of our students, at least the medical students were third or fourth years because we specified that they had to have some clinical experience um at our inclusion criteria, but they're not talking about it at all. And the clinicians. Uniformly talked about it, so I think it's got to be somewhere in early practice that that starts to evolve.
1: I actually think that um, Corinne's group presented some of that. Julie, you missed it, right? So in your interprofessional discussions, you finally started addressing some of that about recognizing what the roles were and the and the sense of ma- how we matter to each of those people, how we belong as a team as opposed to individual groups so I view your question Corinne as you guys are helping to solve that by having these interprofessional debriefings that explicitly address some of that
8: I I think what I'm interested in is is it is it realistic to expect and I've been in conversations with others about you know when you're so focused on developing that confidence and that competency and discovering your own professional identity is it I don't want to say too much, but I've heard like it's too much then to to view yourself then with an identity as part of an interprofessional team because that's a different type of relationship. I mean right now we're talking about you know relate you know a community of learning within a physician cohort versus, developing that identity. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So I I just think it's, you know, team-based care is going to be essential for managing the complexity. And so looking at it is in silos by discipline, I think, you know, but I don't know the answer. It just seems like that's another facet to how we develop, um, professionals professionally.
3: I think we're also seeing, um, at least a suggestion in our study with um, in the first study, but people talking about learning communities in their first few years is meaningful clinical contact, contact help their professional identity formation. And that was the contact was usually in a physician setting, for instance, for our medical students. And so the, the complement of talking about things and then having a real practice setting that illustrated those principles was important to accelerate PIF. So if you don't have interprofessional activities that complement um, what you're talking about with interprofessional identity, it may not form and it may just sound theoretical. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we tried some interprofessional education and because of our calendar challenges, we'd have groups of 12 medical students and two nurses. And it was, it just never really worked and it wasn't consistent enough to think about that.
7: Well, I mean, we do have a reasonable amount of interprofessional education in, in our programs between our schools of nursing and medicine. Um, but to to listen to our interviews, you hear nothing about it, uh, which I have to say was a little defeating for me um, as someone who runs some of those IPs
3: so there goes my theory.
4: Yeah. Well, Julie, is your work in a clinical environment or is it more in a classroom, didactic, small group setting? I, It's being in the clinical environment that is really an important uh, trigger for student advancement in their PEIF.
7: Yeah, it, it's mostly in the classroom environment. And I think that that's a really interesting point um, because, you know, how hard would it be if you're giving a chalk talk in the clinical environment to invite the nursing students on the unit is same. you know, when you do it for the medical students, it's there are opportunities where we could be doing this. Um, and I don't think it is happening in the clinical environment. I think it's happening in the classroom. You
5: yeah, our experience at the University of Washington is we have a, a, a pretty rich interprofessional preclinical <laughs> program, but it's the students really don't connect with interprofessional you know, team-based care until they're in the active clinical environment in third year and beyond. Uh, and I don't think any any change that we've seen in you know the pre-clinical education has has impacted as much as as uh, you know actually being in a clinical setting where you're working with a with a interprofessional team.
6: You might actually say that that's developmentally appropriate, right? So that. You know, early in a novice phase where people are 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 don't have a, conc- a, a concretized professional identity of their own, it might be too challenging to ask them to do too much work. I mean, I I, I don't I, I'm not dismissing all the IPE in the under in the preclinical curriculum because I think it's important to be intellectually introduced to the team, but until you're really solidly in your own identity, it would be hard to ask people to develop. a strong strong identity as an interprofessional um, practitioner.
1: So I wonder what happens to that interprofessional identity during residency, right? Where our trainees are so, you know, kind of hip to hip with the nursing staff, the respiratory therapy staff, the social workers. Is that really where we're developing without a formal curriculum?
0: That sounds like a great empirical question that uh, these teams should be taking on here, Karen. I love it. (laughs) There's always more research to do.